Hey, Coffee is Me listeners, welcome to another episode of Coffee is Me podcast, podcast where we learn about coffee business, how to make uh, coffee with your passion, hopefully. And thank you for tuning in. Today, my guest is Billy from Hydrangea Coffee. Hey, Billy, welcome. Hello. Um, yeah, my name is Bill. Um, so I, uh, I have two jobs, or I guess I have more than two jobs. Uh, one of my jobs is a software engineer in the Bay Area. I work for a startup called Ironclad. Um, you know, we help lawyer uh, acceleration contracts. So that's kind of the job that pays my rent. And one of my passion jobs is um, roasting coffee on the side. So I started Hydrangea um, for fun. Um, and yeah, and it, it currently roasts some really crazy, weird process, processed coffee. And yeah, here's uh, one of them that's not super crazy. Oh, cool. We're going to talk about it just in a sec, uh, but first I want to know who Billy is. Like, tell us more about yourself. You already told us that you're a software engineer. That's kind of cool. It's interesting that more and more people in a software world are going towards coffee. I don't know if it's a pro for the profession yet. I mean, you did, uh, but we have more and more students uh, from the software uh, world. But uh, tell us about yourself. Where are you coming from? And uh, yeah um so, so yeah wait what do you mean by where i'm from as in my background in coffee or uh are you originally like from united states uh no i grew up in um so i grew up in china went to middle school and elementary school there and then i came to united states in high school where and then uh, my high school camp teacher introduced me to coffee during AP Chem, uh, he's a huge coffee person. He had, uh, he talked about the chemistry behind coffee after, uh, after the final is over. He had a little presentation. He was like doing latte. He brought his espresso machine to the classroom, and was doing latte art live, and then uh, have us taste, um, you know, locally locally roasted coffee, um, and then yeah, that's how I kind of got started on coffee. And then I came to the Bay Area for school. I went to Berkeley uh, for undergrad uh, as a math major. Um, so I was very caffeine deprived. So I needed a lot of caffeine. So I drank um, drank plenty of coffee during uh, during my undergrad years and developed um, some opinions about coffee. And um, so after that, I graduated, found a job. Um, I used my first um, landing uh, sign-on bonus to buy an Ikawa roaster. So I can uh, draw different profiles. Uh, that's how I got. That, that's kind of how Hydrangea got started. Is um, I started experimenting with different profiles on the Kawa, and then because it's more or less automated, you don't have to do a lot of work on it. Um, and then I was trying to uh, taste the difference between different profiles. That was kind of fun for me. And then um, eventually sourcing beans become really difficult, and so I'm like. Fine, screw it. I'll roast on the bigger machine to distribute to friends as well. Uh, since some I roast for some of our friends at that time, and it's become increasingly hard to just uh, collect payments. And um, Venmo is uh, no longer a uh, quick solution. So I'm like, fine, I'll just start a site so that um, everything is collected in one place. And that's how Hydrangea came to be. And that's where I'm at right okay, now. Okay, hold your horses. Give me a sec. The air conditioning turned on. 
damn it. Cool. Oh. Sorry about that. But then I can hear it in uh, in audio. Uh, so can you hear that air conditioning? Oh, I can. You cannot? I oh, cannot. Awesome. Then let, let's just roll. I just turned it off, so it should be fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. So, um, okay. I, I love your story, and we're going to, again, talk about all uh, these points. But usually I have a kind of a warm-up question for my guests, and that's about your first sip of coffee. Do you remember your very, very first sip of coffee? Like, where was it, and how did it taste like? Does instant coffee count? Was it? Or... Uh, it's either instant coffee or Starbucks. It's one or the other. Because Starbucks was like this huge fancy thing in China. Right? So, uh, I remember, um, the first probably to being, like, you know, coffee made from remotely, like, bean to cup machine was probably Starbucks. Was like, I got a vanilla latte, I think, in middle school. And just remember this thing being overwhelmingly sweet and tastes like a dessert. It was pretty good. Tastes like a milkshake with, you know, lots of chocolate flavor. It was, it was yummy. It was, yeah. And then, um, but yeah, I do still, I think I remember uh, me just eating instant coffee powder, um, you know, in the cabinet shell um, when I was in elementary school. That definitely has happened many times because <laughs> um, it has a lot of creamer and sugar in it. So, you know, as a kid, you crave a lot of sugar. So that was, uh, and, you know, caffeine is great for kids uh, with great destructive is power. It? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. But, yeah. Um, parents have some instant coffee lying around. So I, I definitely ate a packet or two here or there. That's probably the first sip of coffee. Yeah. So you ate it or you drunk it? I ate it. I just straight up eat the powder. Nice. Because uh, it was at, it was at school, and I don't have. Uh, I went to a boarding school, so I don't have access. Uh, it's hard to get access to a cup and whatnot in the classroom, so I just like kind of just ate the powder thingy. That's the yeah. first one on this podcast, and I love the story. Great. <laughs> uh, uh, I, used yeah. to, I used to do something similar. Uh, my mom used to make a coffee in the morning and I used to take mm -hmm. a sugar cube, which is very like a, it's a thing in Europe. We basically have sugar cubes. Uh, and that's basically mm -hmm. a dose. Like you can say, I want coffee with three cubes or two cubes, right? So what I used to do, I mm -hmm. used diffusion. So basically I put the cube just a little bit over the coffee. It sucked up the coffee and I ate it. Oh, yeah. sweet. It's, it's pretty good. It is sweet too. And that was my kind of like, uh, yeah way to get into the coffee world. And you mentioned your teacher. I mean, that's really cool. A chemistry teacher introducing to uh, hopefully a better coffee than instant coffee. Uh, yeah, he he fed us a bunch of uh, coffee made using a French press. This is, uh, now that I think about it, it's probably the most consistent way to think about it. He basically just did a kind of cupping style. So he, cu he made like three French presses and cupped it into different uh, bowls and then uh, he did a light, medium, dark, by today's standards, probably like, you know, medium, dark and French um, kind of coffee. And then uh, he tried to give us, uh, he tried to tell us where the coffee is from and some flavor notes that uh, he asked us to write flavor notes down on the piece of paper. 
and we tried to compare it to uh, everyone else's and whatnot. That was That's really fun. cool. Uh, where was this? It was in China or already in the United States? Uh, it was in the United States. It was in uh, oh, high school. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So awesome. Thank you for sharing this story. Um, I'm curious about Hydrangea and you came and bought some coffee from uh, Willem Booth. Uh, I think you picked up some Geisha Village and you told me a little bit about your company. I was like, I have to, I have to interview you for this podcast because you do, you do so many things right. And I, I, you know, we have to talk about this. So what is Hydrangea and uh, where did you get the name for it? Um, so Hydrangea is a type of flower. Uh, my mom really likes this flower, uh, first of all. That's partially where the name comes from. Um, and then second of all, Hydrangea is... Um, so I wanted to start a brand. Um, the whole punchline uh, punch for the brand is basically, hey, um, this is a coffee that Bill likes and Bill's friend likes this kind of style. And, you know, I'm just going to share the style, whether you like it or not. Um, no, it's up to you, but this is how I'm going to do my style of coffee. It's just really interesting, really weird coffee that no, nobody else seems to be really doing in the States. So I'm like, fine, I'll do it. And then um, um, my favorite color is pink. So pink origami cup, pink iPhone cases. So um, the brand has to be pink. So it's like, okay, fine. What's something that's pink and that's uh, kind of adorable that's has not taken up by uh, somebody else? So after about a couple of days of Google search, I was like, um, so Rosé Coffee Roaster from uh, Matt Winton was an inspiration. I was like, okay, yeah, I can use a flower. So I set up on the kind of flower and I'm like, and I remember my mom liking hydrangea a lot. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll just use hydrangea as a name. It's kind of cute and have a friend drew some hydrangea with, you know, um, the font as well. So that came to be the logo and came to be where hydrangea is. Love it. Great. Uh, we're going to talk about the crazy coffees because you call them crazy, but uh, nowadays uh, they're getting normalized more and more, right? Uh, when right, you're talking yeah. about these crazy coffees, you mean coffees which have high process or processed with maybe yeast or processed with uh, all kind of uh, funky stuff, correct? Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's talk about the company. You told me a great story. Uh, why did you start the company? Uh, I have a friend who has too many jobs. Uh, let's just call him uh, M. All right. Uh, M was like, um, you, you you seem like you've been spending, you know, almost five digits on coffee every single year. Um, you should consider starting an LLC and, um, you know, and therefore, you know, all your coffee goes to business expense because now it's a company. So, um, you know, at your current pay rate, you get a nice bonus deduction. You get a nice 20, 30% off on all the equipment you spend uh, just by doing a little bit of paperwork and, you know, your quote unquote selling coffee as well. So you get, uh, so the, so if you want to take, you know, for example, a Q class, that's uh, that's part of the business expense because, you know, you're, um, you're doing it for a business. So therefore you get a nice 30% off on uh, Q class and Q classes are generally expensive. Or uh, whatever latest espresso machine slash grinder you want to buy, you know it's a great it's a great opportunity to write as a tax write off. And then he spent about a half a year convincing me that was a good idea. And then uh, eventually I came in and be like, fine, I'll I'll start. 
And then it took another couple months uh, to prep and source and talk to um, different importers to get uh, Hydrangea fully set up. But um, that's kind of one reason I started Hydrangea is um, the tax write-off part. The second part is um, I noticed everyone really likes um, Diego's coffee and crazy or an infusion coffee, except not, not that many people in the States carries it or uh, even Geisha Village as well, even uh, the nicer Panamania stuff. And it's generally really expensive. It's in the $100 uh, for $100. It's in the almost a dollar a gram range. And for me, that's really pricey and um, I'm cheap, so I don't want to pay for it. I'm like, fine. Um, if I learn how to do roasting, which shouldn't be that hard, um, it just takes a lot of practice. And, uh, and, I, and the bonus point is I get to roast it to my preferred shade of um, roast because... Um, I know a lot of people talk about onyx being too dark, um, and then and whatnot, and primary being too uh, primary being one of the worst offenders of this. Just roasting really, really quote unquote medium style coffee, and everyone wants to go uh, a couple shades lighter than that. I'm like, fine, I'll I'll do my own. So you know, I only have myself to blame for when the roast is not good and the coffee's good. Uh, so yeah, that's another reason why I started Hydrangea is to just, so it's, it, for me, it's an excuse to sip on some really nice coffee. I, I just love that story. I, and that kind of already set you up for being a smart or wise person when it comes to, uh, money. And that's so often, uh, I would say downfall of many companies that, you know, I want to roast and they have no clue about, you know, how money works or deductions. And even now. I have a lot of friends who come over to me and, you know, they are, uh, let's say, in a in some kind of business. And I talk about, let's say, the simplified pension plan deductions or how you deduct certain things. And people are like, you can do that? I said, how long are you in a business? <laughs> you know, of course you can do that. It's a great, you know, system here. It's nothing illegal, actually, that's encouraged. So you can build your business and make it, you know, something even better. So, yeah, I, I, I love that. Uh, okay. So I, there's a lot of other things when it comes to uh, finances that you, you, I think you do very smart. Uh, but we never talked about how much did you really spend to start your company? I'm just curious about that. Do you, do you have any idea? And can you give us a, a lack of breakdown? Um, so I was going to start doing, um, so I talked, uh, Shopify lets you start uh, relatively cheaply. It's uh, $1 a month for the first three months. So, and then a buying a domain is somewhere in between 12 to $120 on any domain website. And, you know, you can use Shopify, you can use Wix, you can use Squarespace. Now that uh, e-commerce is really, has gone pretty mature, I would say. Um, you, anyone, anyone can pretty uh, start a shop uh, in the magnitude of days just you know, uh, entering all the products, setting up strategies, uh, linking bank accounts, that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, taking pictures, uh, doing doing a little bit of basic uh, web design. So um, that that is the shorter end. And then buying packaging for uh, hundreds, uh, thousands of coffee bags. And um, Coro really accelerated the process and saving a lot of money. Because Coro has all the equipment you need on production, uh, your your uh, bagger, your heat sealer, your uh, your de stoner, your uh, 
your roster themselves, and then you can just rent it, you know, at an hourly rate of EDR. So that's also relatively cheap. So I spent majority of my money on green coffee. So the first couple offerings of hydrangea was in uh, SL28 anaerobic natural from Volcan Azul, uh, a Ethiopian anaerobic natural from, uh, I think, Gadeb in the Sidama zone, if I remember correctly, and then the strawberry infused coffee and uh, Diego's 720-hour fermentation coffee. So some really dark, uh, some really heavily processed anaerobics and and or infusions that, you know, uh, no other places usually see, uh, usually carries it. So that was the start. Each coffee I bought about 24 kilos of it. So uh, factoring green, that was about three $4,000 plus some miscellaneous expenses. So probably somewhere in the four to five to six grand dollars that I total spent plus, you know, about 50 to 100 human hours in research, talking to importers, getting the pricing, getting samples, sample roasting, cupping, uh, web design, getting print, uh, getting stickers ready, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that's amazing. You know, uh, one of the questions I have, one of the last questions is like, if you would start a coffee company for $10,000, what kind of company would you start? And most people say it's impossible. And you actually went really, really under budget. Uh, so that's kind of cool. I went under <laughs> yeah, budget. Yeah, because, you know, yeah. and I understand 10K is uh, not that much money if you do something uh, standard. But that's what I love about your hand range, that it's weird. It's different. It's very, very out there. So it's, it's, it's like nothing else exists. And finally, something refreshing in the coffee industry. And you can start it with, you know, you said 5, 6K. So... Just to tell people, Shopify is uh, an e-commerce system, and you know there are many of them out there. You mentioned green coffee. Yep, those are very high, very expensive lots too, right? So it's not very cheap uh, coffee. So yep. Then you mentioned a packaging. Uh, so what kind of packaging system uh, or what kind of packaging company did you use? Are you packaging with labels or did you print your own bags? Uh, so I looked into custom bags and custom bags, um, usually the minimal order quantity is somewhere between five to $10,000 with a lead time of, um, you know, three months. And then it's a huge risk for me to sinking, you know, let's say $3,000 in and hydrangea is only selling 300 bags. And, uh, and it puts uh, an unnecessary amount of stress on me. So I bought a bunch of stock paper bags that looks okay. like this. Right, so this is just a stock uh, brown paper bag and the label in front are standardized uh, uncut labels. I print about two of these at a local print shop, uh, full colored. And then the back has a uh, real estate logo and uh, the time is stamped. So two stickers front and back uh, costing about 50 cents. And uh, the bag itself is uh, if you buy a hotel, you just hotel right. stock. So you can get it to pretty cheap. Awesome. So you went with uh, that, and you mentioned Coro. Uh, just I should uh, tell people that Coro is a co-roasting facility. Basically, you can rent time on the roasters. Uh, I used that for Unleashed Coffee, and that was great because uh, we didn't have to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars into equipment. Uh, we just paid by 
time. And it's actually super, super affordable when we calculated it. Don't tell Coros. They should not increase their prices or anything. So uh, we are lucky in the San Francisco Bay Area. We have that. And I think that, you know, it's a trend that more and more places are going to have something like a co-roasting facility where you can rent a, a roasting time. I think they are really, really cool. The same way like community kitchens, you know, they are now available almost everywhere. So uh, it's, it's kind of fun. So yeah, awesome. Um, you mentioned all these super funky coffees and I assume that, okay, now they are getting more more out there. There's more and more of them out there, but how, how do you find your coffee lots? Uh, how do I find my coffee lot? So this goes back into COVID. So um, during COVID, everyone, um, uh, the world was shut for basically half a year and everyone is stuck at home, you know, practicing their own hobby. So some people got really good at making sourdough. Some people got really good at solving Rubik's cube. Some people, uh, some people has, uh, gotten really good at running. For example, uh, everyone kind of, uh, fans their own hobby and just started doing it. Cause that's the only thing they can do kind of everyone's bored. At home. And so everyone got really good at that. Um, I got, better and better at brewing coffee more consistently and just having a better understanding of it. And I was lucky because every single, uh, most of the roasters was uh, panicking because the sales are very different now. They are forced to turn from like a traditional roastery model to a full e-commerce shop. So a lot of roasteries has been offering free shipping on, you know, one bag of coffee or two bags of coffee just to get inventory moving. And then, um, so I took advantage of that and drank a lot, a lot of coffee during COVID because it was cheap and it was really easy for me to get coffee from, you know, let's say, uh, say, or Onyx or any, uh, passenger, any of the big, uh, names out there. And then, um, eventually, you know, you stumble upon Reddit and you read about more, um, coffee roasters. So I drank about, uh, I think somewhere between 20 to 50 roasters a year in 2022 and 20, sorry, 2020 and 2021. And then, so that helped me drink through a lot of coffee as a coffee hobbyist. So I came to have a, a decent understanding of um, what coffee from different terroirs tastes like. And then about the same time, actually, uh, so I'm sure you've heard of leaderboard coffee. Leaderboard coffee is a subscri coffee subscription that sends you 10 different coffees each, each, uh, every three months. And, uh, you're supposed to guess where the coffee is from, how it's processed, what varietal is this, uh, the types of roaster it's on. And it has a discourse server that promotes a lot of discussion in between what this coffee tastes like, uh, without any information given to you. So that was super interesting and seeing what everyone's opinion about a uh, different coffee is. And the uh, so leaderboard always try to put uh, one or two really interesting coffee in there. And those are the ones that gets a lot of conversation. And I found that uh, me and my friends enjoy those a lot. So that's how I came to learn about different types a lot uh, uh, quickly in the short run and just all because uh, Playing leaderboard requires a lot of research on uh, where this coffee is from, and that kind of also accelerated the learning process. So yeah, I think this is a result of um, 
just learning a lot and learning what I like about uh, different kinds of coffee. Okay, but uh, where do you buy your green coffee from? And oh, how do, do you find that coffee? coffee? Um, how do I find a particular coffee? Uh, Google. Oh, do you just Google coffee? Uh, short, short answer is Google. Uh, short answer is Google really hard. Uh, long answer is, um, so I work on a half direct trade, half uh, importer model. So um, some of the bigger lots, because um, some farms are not willing, to, the bigger farms are definitely not willing to work with you if you're only, only interested in 20 kilos of coffee. That's way too small. And whereas importers will uh, like, you know, brew coffee or like, brew coffee is not really importer, but uh, kind of like, uh, what was it? Um, uh, like Ford or, Ford or Apex or Happy to sell you small lots in the five to one kilo quantity. because uh, And then they buy in uh, hundreds of kilos. So they help uh, spread the cost. Uh, Royal is... Uh, Royal is carrying, uh, what was it, um, I think 10 kilo coffee packs and uh, uh, Ally is also doing like the 25 pound boxes. So it was a lot of Googling seeing uh, which uh, which ones are willing to carry uh, smaller roast, uh, packages for smaller roasters uh, like me. So a couple of names are, you know, Apex Coffee Import and Four Coffee Royal. And then um, some of the coffees that uh, I really like, I buy them direct, like, you know, Forest has their own site. Uh, CoffeeNet is pretty self-serve. Um, so that's really nice. And then uh, the uh, other coffee that I direct trade, I basically uh, Google hard enough until I found their WhatsApp and I shoot a cold message on WhatsApp. And usually they're surprised. They're like, whoa, this random stranger from... United States just sent me a message. This is uh, so it will take a little while for me to convince them. Hey, I'm a legitimate person willing to spend money. I'm willing to trust you into buying this green coffee. This usually takes about a couple of weeks until uh, the first round of samples being sent, and then I buy a bigger lot from them. They're happy. Uh, Diego's happy packing me. You know, forty eight kilos of coffee at the time. So uh, that's great. It's interesting. So you didn't never took course here at Boot Coffee when it comes to the uh, business uh, course, but that's actually what I always recommend to my students. Everybody says, oh, I'm too small to do direct trade. I was like, why don't you, you know, contact these people on Instagram uh, or on any social media they are and talk to them. And maybe they can send you, or maybe what you can do is just ask them who is the importer. And now you have a direct relation with that farmer. You can ask all the questions you need and they can tell you how you can buy the coffee. Right. So, you know, you don't have to be giant in order to buy some, you know, awesome coffee lots. So yeah, it's very smart. Cool. cool. <laughs> all right. So yeah, one example being, um, you know, Pepe Hihon, I literally just DM him on Instagram. And he sent me his WhatsApp number saying he preferred to use WhatsApp. And then we continued talking about WhatsApp. And then I got uh, one of Cedar, one of the Cedar Law and one of the Tika Law from him this year. And that was a huge hit. Yeah, you contact me or WhatsApp when you were looking for Geisha Village coffees. Yeah, yeah, we have right. very few coffees here. So you, you are the one who uh, bought some of it. So cool. All right, let's talk money because these were you kind of... Uh, well, blew me away because the amount of time you put in it and the money you your revenues are kind of interesting. So, uh, tell us about your monthly revenues. What are they today? 
my monthly revenue. I'm looking this up right now. Uh, all right, business secret time. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, so my last month revenue was uh, 15K. Uh, so $15,000. Congrats. How much time did you put into the company? Uh, uh, way too much. <laughs> uh, way more than I should, but that's okay. Uh, let's say, um, yeah. So I put in about uh, a whole weekend morning to roast. And then I kind of run my social media here or there. And then uh, the fun part is um, talking to different people and uh, talking to importers and getting samples and sample roast. Uh, that takes about two hours. So it, I will say it's about like 15 to 20 hours a week that I put in uh, throughout the whole week on uh, running mm -hmm. this whole business. Now that it's up and running. Okay, 15, 20 hours. <laughs> that's, that's not too much, man. I mean, you are doing it basically alone. As far as I understand, you have some help and you package, correct? Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah. That that that's super impressive. Uh, so what 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 do you think is a profit from these fifteen uh, k? Is it like a fifty percent, sixty, seventy percent? I don't make that much money because uh, I figured I don't need. Um, I, I don't think a lot of uh, successful roasteries or anyone that does coffee wants to profit. Uh, or like money is one of the primary money is not the uh, first primary goal when it comes to hydrangea, I think, or to a lot of people. Uh, I think passion is in the industry is a lot because um, if you're if you're in here for money, it's hard to survive. You just uh, cater. To, it's it's much easier to just cater to uh, the dark roast, uh, the less specialty category, and just push really low on. Uh, coffee margins and uh, run a shop and sell because um, each cup of coffee you make, you know, 50, 60% on margins if you roast on your own and you get really high margins there. So hydrogen never got started as uh, making money. So as long as it's I'm operational, so the profit is somewhere in between 10 to 20%. It is not that high. Okay. I was All right. So let's talk about pricing. So how would you, how would you decide about the pricing of the coffee? Like, let's say you, uh, buy green coffee for X amount, how you decide about the price you offer it to your customers? There is a spreadsheet that does exactly that. <laughs> I wrote a program that does exactly that being a software engineer. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I have a Google spreadsheet. I basically uh, pre-computed my packaging costs, my roasting costs, and I add a set profit margin that I want, and I input the green kilo uh, the green coffee price in a spits out number, and that's my retail price. Uh, and I basically just follow. Yeah. That okay. Wheel. So, so I don't, I don't waste any brain cells on it. I input a number. It spits out a number. I just use okay. the number. Uh, so, what are your margins? Uh, my margins. I make about what three, four dollars a bag. So oh, 10%. really, that's uh, that's very yeah. low. I know you said that you know. Uh, for you, the profit is not important. But, you know, when it comes to right. coffee brands, and because you have another job, yeah, cool. But when it comes to coffee brands, I think it's important to make enough profit so your life can be fulfilled, that you live a happy life. Otherwise, you just abandon the project, you know? So you have to make a living. And again, maybe it doesn't apply to right. you because you are making a living as a software engineer. 
and that's my that's my experience right. by the way from many uh people come here uh for the courses especially the business course uh i i can tell you the example when a software engineer comes to the coffee course and on wednesdays we run numbers and i kind of turned around i don't have a like a business plan for them i just say hey how much money you need to have be to lead a happy life and based on those numbers uh we kind of dive back like okay how much coffee costs what kind of coffee you want to sell what kind of margins the person want to have and it spits out how many bags of coffee they have to sell and obviously the it people who come from the it world they usually go with very much higher numbers and they look at that like you know what i i just do it as a hobby <laughs> because because i would have to sell uh, a lot of coffee to make my you know uh living what i basically right. making the same money what i make make today okay cool yeah. well thank you for sharing uh the numbers i know it's kind of like a cringy topic sometimes but i think that that's something i want to do more and more in this podcast to talk about numbers because mm-hmm. uh i think they kind of right. like help um, other people to understand what what does this entail right so I think one huge part of Hydrangea's expense that I don't think a lot of other company does is um, so you can see that each coffee has its uh-huh. own art. I do pay the artist um, a fair amount of margin. So that, that's where um, some of my profit has gone into is um, paying for art, uh, paying for my friend who um, packaged my coffee, making sure that um, they get paid a fair amount as well um much higher than market price and i'm happy not making that much money because um it's honestly not too much work for me and uh i like having really weird coffee accessible for example the strawberry coffee um i think the same coffee onyx is pricing at 50 dollars and which is ridiculous um because the green coffee is not all that expensive and i presume they get cheaper pricing than i do and but onyx is onyx onyx needs to feed um they do this for a living um so i understand where the extra profit margin is from but uh i don't agree with it uh yeah 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 i i I get your point uh and you know uh i think that onyx realized that that's a price of coffee or as a price what people are willing to pay and there is nothing wrong about that and the fact that you're cheaper that's kind of cool right. uh so maybe people can you know come to advantage and buy it cheaper but again if it would be your um uh, living like brand or something that you make living from i think that you know you have to make sure that you know you don't uh you basically can make living otherwise you end up right. you know just abandoning project and do something else uh, but still super impressive 15k so let's talk about your customers. Who are they? Have you ever thought like who is your customer and what are? Who are these people who are buying coffee from you? Um, so I categorize um, customers into, uh, I guess, two types of people. People who have never heard of specialty coffee and people who know what they're okay. doing. So that's why I cater two different products. So one is the one that has never, uh, you know, usually had a specialty coffee before. And I want the coffee that is simple to brew, that is reliable. So not the lightest, because um, there is this current fad on uh, getting the latest and the greatest equipment. Um, I really don't like that. I think, um, you know, you don't need 
uh, you don't need great equipment to brew delicious coffee as long as your coffee that you source is amazing. So um, I have a lot of um, slightly more processed coffee, so the flavor notes are more uh, pronounced. Because uh, you know, if you feed someone a Ethiopia, um, they might not. They might just think this is oh, this is a or, or let's say it's a Kenya, right? Um, yeah, people will think that oh, why does this coffee taste like vinegar and chocolate, and I don't like it. I'm gonna run away. And instead, you feed them something like the strawberry, and be like, oh, I can tell this coffee tastes like strawberries. There's a very distinctive strawberry nose to it. So, um, and they can get interested in that because they actually have flavor notes they can taste. So that's kind of the one tier of coffee um, that I carry. So uh, examples being like, you know, the, the fruits, um, the strawberry, the grape, the passion fruit, the lychee, the peach, right? And then um, I have another tier of coffee where uh, um, people who knows about coffee and are, um, you know, happy, uh, wants like the best green coffee. So this is why I'm just trying to source a uh, Geisha Village. I'm trying to source a Sudan Romay from, uh, um, what was it, from uh, Cafe Guangella Esperanza. I'm trying to source, you know, Pepe Hihon from him because I really respect his work. And this is where it really highlights where like the next level of uh, green can be without any processing, without any, uh, without anything, just like the green itself or the limit of, you know, the latest coffee is without any fancy equipment. I personally don't own anything super fancy. I use a fellow old and with SSP manual burst and, you know, I'll probably get laughed at on home barista saying, you know, this equipment's not good enough. You're not bringing out the full potential you know, your coffee, then, you know, to that, I would respond, okay, it's my job to roast better so that I can taste what I taste on. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, buying a $200 grinder is a big investment for them. And I do want that. I do feel like they, you know, I they're not losing out on, you know, that much on a $200 grinder. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Like when it comes to brewing, uh, a lot of people ask me, you know, they know I'm a coffee dude and it's like, Hey, what kind of brewer should I buy? I usually ask, well, what kind of grinder do you have? I say, well, I don't have a grinder. I'm like, dude, forget brewer. All you need is a cone, a filter, you're fine. Hot water and you're fine. But grinder is super, super important. So I, I love fellow and yeah, I mean, they are friends. So kudos to them. Uh, or, I mean, hello to them. Yeah. Uh, but I also own it at home. So I, I, you know. I just love, love fellow grinder. Even though the first generation is a little bit messy, I have actually a special vacuum cleaner for it, and I don't really care because all grinders are right. kind of messy, right? I heard the second gen is much better, so right. uh, maybe a Christmas present. <laughs> I will ask for my wife, uh, fellow gen two. But yeah, it's. I agree with you that you can, if the coffee is awesome, if you roast it correctly, you don't need anything super complicated to brew an amazing coffee. And I and I see it more and more that the young generation of me, I would say the more affluent generations, or let me do this again. I see it more and more that uh, people who get into coffee, they try to overthink the technology behind it. And rather than just focusing on a coffee as is, right? I see people already getting obsessed over different pouring styles and the very specifics. And uh, this is kind of like machine learning where you have too many parameters to tune and you're tuning it. And some of the parameters are totally out of your control. 
and you're still trying to control it. And you ended up with a model that has too many variables that uh, you're tuning five variables at a time and each time they taste different. And you don't know uh, which one of the five variables changes it. Uh, honestly, the biggest advice is still use a, use a decent grinder and don't use tap water. That's it. Like it's as simple as don't yeah, use, use awesome coffee though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. No, it's 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 hundred percent true, and uh, I'm so happy that uh, you you said that because you know I always uh, when I brew here I don't overthink it. Um, I have my recipes. I want to achieve certain goals, right? I don't want to, you know, over extract it, under extract it. But other than that, it's it should be it should be as easy peasy uh, thing. So okay, so you said. You talked a little bit about your customers, but if you have to envision, like if you have to put your persona in front of you, who are the guys or gals who are buying this coffee? Are they, you know, super rich guys from Hollywood? Are these students? Who, who are who are your customers? I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I haven't dig too deep into that, but I presume will be the younger generation who are more willing to experiment who are curious and wants to learn more about coffee. Yeah. So probably something in the, somewhere in between the 20 to 40s range and um, working a decent job that um, at least know how, knows how to prep coffee to a decent degree. Um, you know, presumably owns a kettle or a grinder or both at home. That's kind of the persona. So if you have the extra money to afford a um, I guess a grinder. You're not that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're not super poor. Uh, that that's true. So, other questions like I already interviewed last time uh, the founder of Good Boy Bob, and they also have these you know high specialty coffees. This kind of like uh, let's say very interesting control processed coffees, but they also do the regular like you know specialty coffees, which you know like wash natural, etc. And when I talked to him, he said, yeah, yeah, we do all these uh, funky coffees because we are interested in them. But, you know, for us, they are not the main moneymaker. They are more uh, kind of like an interesting thing, right? Uh, my question to you would be, who do you think is paying for these coffees? Because these coffees are not cheap, right? So who do you think is paying uh, for this coffee and why? Um, uh -huh, the really expensive right. coffee? Uh, people who it's kind of like uh, people who are willing to pay for wine um, people uh, it has become like a craft and um, it's kind of like nice food people are uh, people who value fine dining and you know people are if people are happy to shell out hundreds of dollars for dinner and you know shell out hundreds of dollars for a glass of wine or a bottle of wine you know, um, coffee in the ten fifteen dollars a cup is less ridiculous once more people get into it. And plus, if you have the quality and quality to match it, I have personally been lucky enough to taste some of the really nice coffee from Good Boy Bob, from um, from other farms from La Mula, from uh, and then from you know Esmeralda, from Jansen, and yeah, they are uh, they are exceptional and. It's more of a once in a, a lifetime experience uh, to drink those really exceptional coffee. I agree with you, but here, here, here's my question, and I'm kind of asking this myself often. 
Like uh, when he interviews Lamula or Gesha Village, or I introduce some of these coffees to our students, they are all impressed, right? They are all like, whoa. But then I say the price and they're like, okay, that's just not, I'm not going to happen. And some of these people are happy to pay a lot of money for wine because, you know, I know them. I'm also a wine connoisseur, so we can talk wines and like, oh, yeah, they are happy to pop $300 for a bottle of wine, which I'm not, by the way, but let's say they are. But they have a problem yeah. to pay, you know, 50 bucks for a small bag of this high, high, high specialty coffee. And, you know, I can see that my generation, maybe, you know, people a little bit younger than me, we still consider coffee something like, oh, yeah, it's special, but it's still commodity. It should be cheap. Well, I see that your generation is looking at it with different eyes. And I also see that, let's say, cultures which, which were not immersed in coffee before, like, you know, the Asian culture, which used to drink tea, takes this uh, coffee culture with, uh, I would say, with a blank slate. So anything plays, right? So the price, if the coffee is good, I'm mm -hmm. happy to pay. If not, I'm not doing that. And I want all the interesting stuff. Maybe same with Saudi Arabia or something. Right. Like, Do you have the similar experience with this? Uh, yeah, I think coffee in Asia culture is considered as fancy because it's never been there before. And Starbucks for the longest time, even up until today, is still considered as fancy. There is no, I think, idea of commodity in Asia. Um, that's why people just drink either, you know, instant or they drink really, really fancy. Uh, since all coffee is fancy and so people are willing to push uh, for better and better coffee, there is that demand. Uh, whereas here, yeah, as you said, older generation thinks that um, paying for fifty dollars a bag is ridiculous. But uh, if you want for the experience, and if you want uh, farmers to get paid well, like the whole the whole chain to get paid moderately well, uh, yeah, as, as a consumer, you should pay more for better sort uh, for quality to encourage better farming practices. Cool, I, I agree with you. And you know, if I would ever stop working here at uh boot coffee because obviously i have the access to these coffees uh i would definitely like venture out this is something special and uh so special occasion i want my personally washed geishas you know or natural geishas i'm more into that mm -hmm. than the the process control process coffees but yeah i mean they still cost a lot of money and uh, i'll be i'll be customer i'm convinced now i cannot even imagine my life without these coffees like having them here and there right so um okay uh, so I also want to know, like, how did you find your first customers? Uh, where were you looking uh, for them? How did I find my first customer? Um, always, um, always start with your friends. You should sell to your friends. There is no shame in selling to your friends. Saying, say, say, hey, I have a coffee business. You should support me, and I will. I will sell it to you at a friend's rate and uh, you can help me get started. So yeah, my first customer is, um, my first couple of customers are my, all my friends. My first, I think a hundred, uh, not a hundred, uh, 10 orders are from my friends. And a uh, big shout out to Coro because Coro owns a cafe. So I, um, they operate on the consignment model. I basically drop bag of coffee off and if it doesn't sell, I take the risk and then if it sells, uh, Coro takes a fair cut of the price. And um, so Coro kind of helps in that sense, advertise my brand out to the general public that, hey, there's this new roaster on their shelf that are different. And and people are willing to go to Coro because they have, 
it is the roasting collective so it is a one-stop shop for um other other really good roasters like you know cosmic dust like flower child like um Kaveri, like moonwick they're they're all also awesome folks um shameless plug no worries over there i, I really well. love to plug good people so just go for it okay uh so you said that you're selling your coffee right now on your website uh, through Shopify and uh, some coffee goes through Coro. Do we have any other sales channels? Uh, not really. I occasionally takes uh, one or two wholesale channels through Hong Kong and I'm trying to explore some wholesale options to a uh, one cafe in North Carolina and one cafe through Long Beach. So you are still looking for uh, uh, kind of like a, extending the business and finding new venues? Um, wholesale for me is a way to get through the volume I want because uh, right now, especially for bigger farms, they st- they're, they're much happier selling me a half bag or a full bag of coffee than the 24 kilo boxes. And um, I don't sell 24. It's already reasonably difficult for me to sell 24 kilos of coffee. Uh, and then my whole brand is I rotate my coffee very frequently um weekly new releases if not you know once every two weeks um and so you never get any boring coffee on my site um it's always new it's always refreshing so um i um the nice thing about working with a wholesale partner is that you help reach that volume so that you uh you can rotate to the next coffee now i called you uh Haha, let's discuss your pricing again so if you want to offer a wholesale uh discount right you have to have higher margins right. or are you breaking even with the wholesale right now? I basically break okay, even. So wholesale. I advise you to improve your pricing. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Cause, um, how I calculate my profit margin is I do, uh, I count okay. shipping in as well. So I count shipping in human hours oh, as well. That's different though. Oh. That's excellent. So you do count your own time into right, it. Right, right. I factor in minimum wage, which is oh, no, not that's that super high, smart. But... That's awesome. No, no, that's yeah. that's cool. Then it's right. you, you, you're good. You <laughs> usually people don't count their own time into it, right. but you do, and you know that that that's awesome. Uh, I looked at your Instagram, and I love the artist who works for you. Uh, is it's she, right? Yeah, she's uh, yeah. she's really uh, awesome. I like her designs, and I love that you went uh, with kind of like a if if the coffee has certain flavor notes, you basically display them on this little like a like a yeah picture, and your whole Instagram is just those pictures. So first of all, congrats! It yeah. really looks awesome, and it's not only me who thinks that because you don't have that many followers, but your engagement rate is off the roof. If you think that each of your uh, I forgot, like you have like eight hundred followers or something like that. Uh, 784 yeah, and as your well. likes are between 60 and 80 per post. Like I get less likes and I have like almost 3000 followers. So your engagement rate is really cool. Now, first of all, my first question is, are you using also other social medias? Uh, and my second question would be, do you utilize uh, Instagram shops? I don't, um, I'm not using other social media. Uh, I occasionally, uh, some coffee YouTuber picks me up 
and I'm happy to do collaborations, for example, Hoon from Arizona, Brian Kwan in the Bay Area, and uh, I think Coffee Review reviewed one of my bags of coffee on YouTube as well. Uh, so uh, they kind of just heard it from words of mouth. And then I guess the other uh, social media I use a lot is Discord. Uh, I try to be active on Discord and replies to people's questions about brew recipes and whatnot. And yeah, my main source of advertisement is Instagram because nowadays everyone, Instagram is probably the most popular uh, social media and it's kind of like the ground source uh, from to get people But talking. you do not advertise, you just post, right? You don't pay advertisement fees. Uh, yes, I have currently not spent a single dollar okay, on advertising. Cool. Do you, have you ever used Instagram shops? I okay. have not. Uh, I presumably Instagram shops just integrates with uh, Shopify. So whatever data I have on Shopify, Instagram just makes that checkout process a little bit easier. Uh, but yeah, I am. I also don't want to give meta money, so there's that. No, but I see that you enjoy that if many people get the coffee into your, in their hands, and it can be kind of a source. I'm just asking because I never, I, I mean, I used to have Instagram shops in my previous brands, but it never worked for me, and I was just wondering whether it kind of works for younger generation. Uh, and I love that you use Discord, and because I have to say. Uh, I have no experience with Discord minimum. I'm now in that uh, Bay Area coffee group, which is cool. I It's awesome. But I don't do anything else on Discord. I always thought that, oh, Discord is for my kids. But I think that many people, I would say, you know, miss an opportunity when they don't look into these Discords and the Reddits, right? So it is always opportunity for discussions. It's not the same as on, let's say, Instagram, where you can kind of like, promote a lot right it's more about the community which i actually like a lot so you don't you don't you, you don't like pushy people as far as i get it right yeah, yeah. perfect all right uh so let's talk a little bit about your uh, production we already talked a little bit about the fact that you're using a coro which is again really cool because you know for very little money you can start your own brand and we can see that you know you're doing pretty cool uh what kind of roaster do you use, and uh, you know how are you happy with it? Um, so I started at Coro using a Mill City one kilogram. Um, I think Mill City uh, the one kilo suffers from the syndrome of having too many features, and half the feature work as expected, and the other half doesn't, and you never know which half does. And um, so that was not a great experience to use, and but my volume was small, so I could not afford a bigger roaster. Um, I prefer to use a drum roaster, just from my uh, empirical experience, I found that I, um, all my favorite roasters use drum mostly. Uh, they use less of a ring. So Coro does have a 15 kilo low ring, but um, I personally dislike the taste from it, or I prefer the taste from Probat. Than than Lorene, so I will prefer to use a Probat. So right now I use a Probat P5, and I am pretty happy with it. It works very well up uh, up up until one kilo, and I usually load it somewhere in between three to four kilos on my normal roast. Oh, that's interesting. That's really cool. So, uh, you you said that you don't like. So you did test lowering versus probat when it comes to uh, flavors of these high, high fermented coffees? 
this is just empirical data. But um, one of the question on leaderboard is always, you know, identify uh, whether this is a drum or this is an air roaster. And um, I just found that through playing, I think, seven, eight seasons of leaderboard and drinking 80 coffees from, you know, approximately half on drum, half on air, I can confidently say that. And this is kind of a blind test. You know, I prefer the taste of oh, drum a little welcome bit. Welcome in the club. I, I agree with you. Uh, I, I, and I always thought it's kind of like because... I always roasted on drum roasters before, so I'm basically like mm -hmm. accustomed to that. I, don't, I have no issues with loading, by the way. Loading makes great coffee and everything is, is cool. Right. It's just more mm -hmm. like my personal taste. I prefer the the uh, drum roasters, so that that's kind of cool. So, right. uh, and let's share this because I have some thoughts on this too. Uh, do you have any tips how to roast? these uh control process coffees like anaerobics etc so what would be your suggestion uh, how, how to go about this so um one thing about anaerobic coffee is that um if you know anything about uh, uh cellular structures they are a lot less dense compared to normal coffee uh large coffee is somewhere in uh, much higher about 30 percent more dense and if you ever weigh coffee or in volume, you, you usually notice that natural is a little bit less dense than washed coffee. And uh, and the anaerobics are even less dense. So, um, and then the less dense they are, the harder it is to get heat in the middle. I think that's what everyone can agree upon. Because air acts kind of acts as, a, as an insulator instead of coffee. So it's harder to get that heat in. So I will go, I personally go really gentle in the beginning, in drying phase, I let it soak about a minute or two before I increase the heat. And then I, um, the for the really funky naturals, I try to blast through um, my, my earth a little bit faster than I would. So almost as fast as a wash coffee, like really fast, um, so that not too much funk is there. And then uh, I usually hit, what, first crack about 20, Fahrenheit RR as with a 60 second RR and I let it develop somewhere in between a minute, uh, sorry, 50 second to a minute and then I drop it uh, with a set temperature goal in my somewhere in between, let's say, four or yeah, two. It depends on the roster, the, the temperature, but uh, what would be your right. first crack around? Uh, my first crack is around 390. Time. 390, uh, 388 to 393 on my time, on anywhere between six, six to eight minutes, okay. depending on the coffee. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, because we did experiment on this. Uh, I had my very good friend Abdurrahman uh, from uh, Saudi Arabia here. And we have a lot of these anaerobics coming in from La Cabra for the new lots. And we, we were kind of like disputing what kind of approach uh, to use. And my approach is actually super similar to yours. I noticed that these coffees like to be roasted super light, even lighter than I usually do my other coffees. Like for me, usually uh, if you go into the development time with a controlled uh, way, so kind of nice and slow, I develop my coffee usually for one minute, 20 second dish. Right, it's still a light roast. 
uh, but not not with these. I mean, these like well, sixty second, one minute, as you said, for me is the max I do, and I don't want to do also too much less. I don't want to do less because I'm a little bit afraid that you know the acidity will be just too sour, and we're already talking about sour acidity. But anytime I roast this coffee darker, I get these like uh, very deep, dark notes of like, you know, like a prune and cocoa and basically like a rotten fruit, which I'm not, I just know. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's my approach. And I agree with you that I like to have my first crack pretty early. So my whole roast is around eight minute-ish, eight minute, 30 seconds. So my first crack would be like seven, seven thirty, right? So that's, that's my approach. And I was always happy with it. Uh, I had one customer who asked for a profile and I said, Hey, uh, do this and your coffee will be good. And, you know, he was very happy with it. Now, on the other hand, Abdurrahman came up with a very different uh, approach and he actually takes his coffees for a long trip. He really kind of extends the Maillard and he rolls them for a long time. So I think his first crack was around 12 minute ish. So, and also the roast is very short, but I don't know. I still believe that my or your approach uh, makes better justice for these coffees. It's just the coffees are there's much more fruit in it. It's kind of like a fresher, right? So I think that listeners can try their own, uh, do their own experiment and try out which one works better. But these coffees do require uh, a special attention. These require these coffees require, uh, I would say, a very good roasting skill. Yeah, and I noticed one more thing. I don't know if you agree. Like on Ikawa, some of these coffees are actually tasting very good. Ikawa is a, for people who don't know, is a fluid bed roaster. So there's a lot of uh, like uh, air, right? It's like basically you have oh, like air. a convection yeah. roaster. Uh, and some of these coffees taste very well. Uh, so that's why I was kind of puzzled when you told me that, hey, you don't, you didn't like uh, Loring, which Loring is a combination. And yeah, there's a recirculating air with a little smoke maybe so yeah do you have experience with uh, fluid bed roasters and uh, controlled process coffees uh, not more than lowering and or brandy wine i have plenty of coffee from brandy wine and they use lowering and they have okay so next time you are here let's play around with ikawa i know that uh, chromatic they started to use Sono Fresco for the, some of their coffees. They kind of hacked it as they always do. <laughs> and I don't know if they do it as a production roast or they're still kind of playing with Sono Fresco. But I think they are also playing with that air is that, you know, kind of like a very gentle approach with kind of like a air and not drum maybe helps a little bit that coffee. I don't know. I, there's so many question marks still with these coffees. And that's, I think that's fun part uh, for every roaster kind of like discovering these coffees, how you can roast them to something really cool, right? All right, awesome. Uh, so I have like, you also told me, well, again, you already told me that uh, you have some wholesale customers and you know, you kind of like having uh, these people on a, on a Discord, uh, but where do you think Hydrangea will grow? Where would you put your energy in order to maybe get more customers or maybe uh, put your coffee into more hands? 
at some point I'll start experimenting with advertising. I still think words of mouth is the best way of advertising. Um, just because I'm small and I'm not willing to grow that fast. I I think Hydrangea has got, grown to a volume that I like, and I will try. I, I try very hard to maintain it, and I'm willing to let Poppy sell out on the website. If it sells out, it sells out. That's how much I can roast in a given week. That's how much I can control. And if it grows bigger, that means I'm roasting more each week. That means I have to uh, probably hire someone full-time to do packaging. That, um, probably uh, I should start experimenting with email uh, newsletters. Um, so a lot uh, holding on to customer retention is a big thing. I'm not I'm not doing a particularly good job because I don't I don't write emails updates. I know uh, a couple hundred people have signed up for the newsletter, and those people are uh, has already bought a coffee from me before. So it is like the most effective channel to uh, give people update is from newsletter. That is one thing I currently need to do. Um, Eventually, and the second thing is going to more shows, um, just talking to, uh, it's hard to do business with someone on the internet, uh, especially if it's cold. Uh, it's really easy to just like, hey, you know, this is a stranger uh, just spamming hundreds of people on WhatsApp, and I'm just going to ghost him. That's easy to do. Um, so probably going to more trade shows and festivals, talking to importers, talking to different farmers, seeing their philosophies, and then just showing up in person so they, they know I'm a real human being. Sounds crazy. I am not someone uh, behind, the, behind the computer screen all the time. And that will help a lot, yeah. actually, to get yeah, your name Those are awesome there. plans. Are you going to be on a San Francisco Coffee Fest? Uh, probably not. I am going to World of Coffee to see um, oh. Diego and to see... Man, I'm so jealous. Uh, you know, I'm originally from Europe uh, and I love Greece, so it would be really, really right. awesome. But uh, you're going to have a lot of fun, I think. That will be that will be fun. And then seeing uh, seeing folks I've been generally talking to on WhatsApp and uh, seeing what the latest trend in the industry is, seeing what people are into and just embrace that... Uh, I still think the next wave of flavor comes from coffee processing. Uh, Diego is one of uh, the more innovative process uh, coffee farmers out there. He is currently trying to innovate Robusta, which will be quite special. So I'm excited about you know his take on Robusta because if you can make that taste good, then you know there's yeah, a huge market I for that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, you said that you're going to check out what are the trends, but Billy, I have to say to you that you are a trendsetter. <laughs> so uh, you are doing something which is very uh, new, very innovative, and uh, you know, not too many people would uh, risk that, I would say. So maybe we should check you out. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I have this question, and it's weird because you already did it, uh, I usually ask people like you if you would have to start another coffee business and your limit your uh, sky. Let me do this again. Shit. Uh, so I have this question uh, about ten thousand dollar business. You know, I usually ask this question uh, entrepreneurs like, hey, if you would have to start another coffee business and you had only ten thousand dollars, what kind of business would you start? I know you started already one, but 
do you have another idea which would not cost more than ten thousand dollars i have another idea well it has to be a co-roasting facility um let's see it's hard to have a brand new idea that i haven't implemented already but i really like standout coffee's model on a really high-end uh small lot subscription service um kind of um coffee um where i try to source some really exceptional lots uh like la mula like uh uh, like all the Panamanian farms, all the special Colombian farms. Uh, I think uh, Alan Erto is from Guatemala, from, um, yeah, like it really, really exceptional, uh, all competition grade coffee in like a 100 gram service. So the volume is super small. I might be able to get away with just uh, packing uh, like 30 minutes on uh, on the pro bag because I only need to roast two badges because they're just high end. I only pack 100 grams. And the lots um, I can buy uh, two, uh, two to three lots um, that I want. Uh, I think one lot from Geisha Village is somewhere in the couple thousand dollars, and one uh, not best of Panama farms are not are still relatively affordable. So I, I will get two lots and I'll try to start selling them as itself. Awesome! I think. Yeah, I think that, that would be work. the idea. I think that you know, uh, anytime people tell me that oh it's not possible, it is possible. I think that's that that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, all right, thank you for sharing. Uh, the very last question is because I tortured you here for a little bit over an hour. Always uh, let the guests ask me a question. Do you have any question for me? Do I have any question for you? Uh, let's see. Uh, where do you see the future of uh, Argus? Not. Come again? Uh, let okay. me try that again. Cut. Uh, yeah. I mean, you don't have to ask me a question if you don't have one. I'm just. <laughs> I don't think I have. One. I saw about it. I I saw about the equipment. Um, it's really like um, where do you see uh the next I guess improvement in flavor comes from the industry, whether it's green, whether it's uh equipment, whether it's roasting. Because um, a lot of people have been talking about Stronghold as like the NLB or roaster. I haven't tried it. I think um, that yeah. it's not going to be technology. Technology is uh, going to be what it is. Um, and again, whether using Stronghold or uh, Probat, you know, we know a lot about convection conduction airs. Uh, we know a lot about um, roasting per se, like what kind of profiles you can pull off, what kind of flavors you can uh, come out with. But if your main material is not good, meaning green coffee, or if your main material has certain uh, like properties, then uh, those properties you can just a little bit enhance or change with roasting, right? So for me, I think that the material itself is where innovation is happening, meaning uh, the green coffee and the harvesting techniques. And I think that on a farm level, we're going to get the more creative. And again, I, I, I don't know if you know about, mm -hmm. if you, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm not a big fan of control processes. Uh, it's for me, it's a philosophical thing. 
basically I'm in coffee for the same reason I'm in wine. I love terroir. I love the place. I love the origin. And for that, I prefer the more classical ways of processing coffee, like washed natural. That said, or honey, right? That said, I'm not against control processes. Uh, when it comes to creativity and making these new flavors, right? And kind of like having uh, interesting ways to come up with flavors. They just have to be communicated really clearly that this is not a terroir. There's also a little bit dangerous game when you use yeast and stuff because those yeast can populate on your farm. And if they populate on your farm, because if you pitch yeast, that's what I mean. If you take a yeast from other farm or other, like some engineered yeast, you if you introduce them on onto your fermentation tank, obviously they are not going to stay there. I mean, these are everywhere. We are just breathing them in right now as we speak. So they can populate on your farm and then they change one part of your terroir, which is happening sometimes in in wine. So I think that the green material, the farm is the where innovation is. Technology is similar like with brewing, as we mentioned that, you know, uh, the simplicity can create amazing results, right? And I think also in roasting, uh, all the no new gimmicks can help you. But if you have an old probat from 1938, which I do in Slovakia, you can still roast amazing, right. amazing coffee. Right. I think uh, Cyclos is using the vintage probat. I think Manhattan is using a probat from 1980s. Um, 19, 19 grams is using some sort of old probat yeah. out there. They, yeah, yeah. They so uh, the pro, those use a probat called uh, Probat UG20. And I had one in my green plantation. Mine mm-hmm. was from 1960. That was my brand in Slovakia. And uh, I still have one roaster from 1938. It's a probat. It was my very first roaster. I have it covered in Slovakia. One day, maybe I bring it to United States. I still don't know what I'm going to do about it, but that's my baby. I'm not not selling that. It's just, you know, it's mine. And they can make incredible coffees. Uh, and uh, what I like on probats, and let's say what I like on vintage roasters is they're so easy to fix, right? They maybe don't have the fancy right. things which maybe modern roasters have, but you you have yourself experience with, uh, with Mill City when you mentioned there's too much stuff in it. Uh, and sometimes that stuff can be even destructing. Uh, when I'm having students here, I like to teach them the basics. I like to teach them how to follow a roast with, you know, bean and air probe and rate of rise. Done. Let's not overthink this. Let's not put in uh, airflow. Let's not put in drum speed because once you do that, you can get lost and you do not know which change created that profile, right? So keep it simply simple. Right helps you because coffee per se is a super complex product. So if you put all those variables at it and all those, you know, gimmicks, you go like, you just get lost and you never know how to create a good rose profile. All right, man. Well, before I end this podcast, I want, uh, want you to ask you that where can people find you? Where can they buy your coffee and where they can uh, talk to you? So uh, I am very active on Instagram. I generally respond within 24 hours because, um, you know, I, I have a hydrated install on my phone, so I get a notification if you uh, text me. It is kind of annoying, but it is fine. Um, 
Um, my coffee is available on the website hydrangea.coffee. Um, so I take orders um, basically Monday through Saturday. And then I stop orders Saturday night and I collect the orders and roast them to order Sunday, ship the following Monday. If the Monday is a holiday, for example, last Monday I shipped today. Um, yeah. And yeah, find me on website. Uh, please visit if you want some of the really, really interesting coffee out there that nobody else really seems to carry in the United States. So yeah. I'll, I'll put all those links into the show notes so you can find them at coffees.me. And uh, Billy, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was really awesome. And thank you for sharing your numbers because, uh, you know, some people are shying away from that, but I think that really helps for people who get similar inspirations uh, like you. So thanks again. Yeah. All right. Thank you for yeah. having me here. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I stopped the.